Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Your driving license sits in your purse or wallet and you probably forget it's there most of the time. Then you have to renew. And that's where the nightmare begins. John is a former driving instructor, actually, and he has been waiting 13 months for his renewed driving license, and it hasn't come through. It's taken away his independence. He has his car outside that he cannot get into. A Times investigation has revealed how a catalogue of problems at the DVLA's offices in Swansea has caused some people to wait many months for their new licences to be issued, leaving them without vital identity documents and sometimes unable to drive. The problem that they made right at the beginning of the pandemic, the applications were coming in, they get loaded onto big trolleys, but they put the oldest ones in the corner, which then filled up all the new ones outside on the outer skirts. They couldn't get to the old ones. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, The Times Undercover Investigation, The Crisis Inside the DVLA. My name is Paul Morgan-Bentley. I'm Head of Investigations at The Times. I tend to work on long-term investigations and particularly undercover investigations. Talking about my most recent ones, I worked as a Hermes driver before Christmas to expose the problems there and have been visiting beauticians offering unlicensed versions of Botox. What kind of attributes do you think, what characteristics do you need to do undercover work? It's an interesting one because... It's the type of work that lots of people find nerve-wracking. I find lots of things nerve-wracking and it causes me anxiety. However, for some reason, I don't find undercover work nerve-wracking. I feel comforted by it in a way because you don't have the anxiety as a reporter that you might miss something as long as the camera is working. Other than that, you just kind of have to be there and blend in. And for some reason, I'm not sure why I enjoy it and feel like it's kind of a totally different job to usual reporting. But there's something great about being able to be in a room and just kind of quietly witness or kind of prompt people to speak about subjects that you want to hear about and know that you're capturing it all. And then you've got time later to go through it all. Obviously, we can't just go undercover anywhere. We've got to have very strong legal reasons to go in. There's got to be clear public interest. We've got to suspect that there's wrongdoing going on and know that this is the only way that we can find out about it. Paul's latest investigation took him inside the DVLA, the Driver and Vehicle Licensing Agency, the government organisation that, amongst other things, issues driving licences. The DVLA has been in crisis 
throughout the pandemic, and that's no secret, there's been a select committee hearing about it. Order, order. This is the Transport Select Committee's uh, one-off evidence session into the work of the Driver and Vehicle Licensing Agency, the DVLA, uh, to which we have many issues and many queries to raise with our witnesses. There's been millions of people who have had their lives affected by the problems at the DVLA. There are backlogs of cases that are building up. So whereas in normal times, the way that you get your license renewed should be pretty easy and quick. Now, in some cases, there are people complaining that they've been waiting longer than a year for kind of a simple license renewal. There are people all over social media every day complaining about the different ways the problems of the DVLA has had has impacted on their lives. So some people haven't been able to work. When you go to the DVLA to get a renewal and things like that, often you need to have identity documents. And there have been people who have complained that they haven't been able to see relatives abroad or they've missed funerals because the DVLA still has their passport months later. And because of all this noise, that's when we thought we really need to get into that room to find out what is going on. You talk about that room. Where is that room? So the DVLA's offices are in Swansea. It's nothing particularly remarkable. There are a bunch of offices just off the M4. There are different buildings that house different parts of the DBLA. So, you know, a building where a lot of the office work and going through the paperwork happens. There's a big contact centre, which is the people that answer the phone when you ring in asking for help. And a couple of other buildings, kind of on a campus almost. Let's talk about the the process of the investigation itself and what you discovered. And in the first instance, what was it that you applied to do there? What did that job entail? And then we'll come on to what you found when you started doing it. We had these suspicions that something was going wrong there. People are waiting far too long for their licenses. There were jobs coming up. So because there haven't been that many people on site, it appears that they've been on this recruitment drive to finally get some people in through the doors and into the offices. And there were jobs going in the call center. Now, people assume that when you apply for these jobs that you would use a pseudonym or something like that. But actually, this is a job as a civil servant. You have to provide your national insurance number. You have to give identity documents. When it comes down to it, you have to apply as yourself and see whether they're doing any proper checks. I'm pretty sure I'm the only person in the country with my name. At each stage, there's always the thought maybe they will suddenly say you don't have a job. Someone would have cottoned on, but they didn't. Paul was eventually offered a job starting at the end of January. It entailed moving to Swansea to join the DVLA's over 6,000 other employees at their main offices in the city. Paul would go on to spend a couple of weeks on a training course while filming undercover for his investigation, audio from which you'll hear in this episode. The point was to go in there and see how full it was, whether people were, in fact, working in the offices, if they weren't working in the offices, what they were doing. So I didn't actually need to be answering lots of, you know, customer queries and things like that. Actually, when you get to that point, you kind of can't do the journalistic work really anymore. In some respects, you want to just get in the building and start asking people questions. How do they actually process information in their offices? I would imagine, right, that they've got spanking new kind of computer system, et cetera, state of the art, because you've got such a lot of stuff to get through and a system for dealing with the physical documents, which passes them through fairly quickly, maybe digitizes part of them and gets it round and out again. But I have a suspicion you're going to tell me, maybe not. The DVLA is 
quite unusual in the modern world in that lots of applications come through physical forms. So you fill out those forms. Sometimes you can do a renewal or a a dress change or something like that online. And then the system's pretty modern and it links up to your passport. So if you've got a, a current photograph on your passport, then they can take it from there. You don't have to send a new one. But in lots and lots of cases, you have to send physical forms or proof of identification, things like that. So much so, in fact, that they say they receive 60,000 pieces of post every single day. And so part of the huge number of people working there are literally going through paperwork. And you'd think they'd have great systems. But actually, one of the things that I found, one of the things the managers told us. The problem that they made right at the beginning of the pandemic, the applications were coming in, they get loaded onto big trolleys, but they put the oldest ones in the corner, which then filled up all the new ones outside on the outer skirts. They couldn't get to the old ones. And of course, by doing that, they soon realised they couldn't get to the oldest crates. But that is one thing that has never come out before. (laughs) I know it's kind of comical, but not obviously for those people who'd made those applications. Honestly, we've just got to kind of visualise this because that's kind of extraordinary. So crate number one comes in, and instead of it being put in the place where you're going to deal with it first... You put it in the corner and then build up around it. So actually, the thing that came in first is the thing that you're going to deal with last. Yes. So what the manager was saying was that when she and colleagues in the call centre would sometimes do overtime to try and help clear the physical backlogs of paperwork, they were finding that they were opening applications from three weeks ago. And they were saying, why are we doing this? Aren't there backlogs of cases from months and months ago? Shouldn't we be dealing with those? And the answer she was given was, well, we put the crates right in the corner so we can't get to the oldest ones. We have to just deal with these ones first. Now, I should say that when I went to the DVLA for comment before the publication of the investigation, they emphatically denied that this problem had any implications for drivers. But this was what I was told by the manager when I was there in February. Now, Paint a picture for us about what you found when you went into those offices. Usually, when you picture going into a call centre, you imagine a kind of high-pressure, target-driven environment with managers shouting at people to get through the calls. And usually, actually, when there are undercover stories about call centres, it's about those kind of high-pressure tactics. Here was the kind of complete opposite of what you'd expect from a call centre. It was almost silent. There were rows and rows of empty seats, black screens. There are very strict COVID safety rules at the offices at the DVLA. And that's at the centre of this story, really, because there's a union there that's been very, very powerful, arguing that the offices haven't been COVID safe, so there should be fewer and fewer staff on site. And that has clearly had an effect. A huge amount of money, millions, has been spent on COVID safety at the DVLA offices. But it means even now, there are very few people in the offices. There's one-way walking systems. During training, we weren't allowed to talk face-to-face. There always had to be a big screen between us. The desks were very fast spaced out. There was free lateral flow testing on site. There were free temperature checks. But really, the first thing that hit me was just how empty and quiet it was. And which union is it? The union's the PCS, the Public and Commercial Services Union, that represents civil servants. Did you find any restrictions there that you wouldn't have found in uh, other settings? I mean, I think a lot of us have been in offices where, even where there are one-way walking, where there's two in a lift at the same time and so on. Did this feel to you to have gone one, two, three steps beyond those protocols? 
we all expect that in offices. We have done throughout the pandemic, but this felt much more like an office in January 2021 or much earlier on in the pandemic. And actually, if you compare the rules that were at the DBLA when I was there to the Public Health Wales rules, where the kind of guidance to work from home had been scrapped, where there was no restrictions on meeting indoors, so restaurants were totally open, there was no two-meter rule elsewhere, but there was at the DBLA offices. This is February 2022. This is a different stage of the pandemic, obviously, something we're all learning to deal with, but this was very far at the strict end. And these rules were stricter than Public Health Wales, and Wales has always been stricter than England. You've mentioned the unions briefly. Do you have any idea why it was so strict? That was the context. The union has been battling on this issue of COVID safety. The union's gone on strike over the issue, saying that the offices are not COVID secure. There's been a transport select committee hearing about the issues at the DVLA. That was in July last year, and that was kind of a central subject, was the union leaders saying that it wasn't COVID secure and the management of the DVLA saying it absolutely is. Grant Shapps has talked about it in Parliament as well. An additional building has been rented, air conditioning has been changed, so the air comes directly in from the uh, outside, perspex screens have been uh, put in place, zones and bubbles have been uh, created, uh, and there's a very substantive cleaning regime. And talked about how more than £4 million was spent making the offices COVID secure. If this dispute is indeed about making sure the building is COVID secure, then uh, this has been achieved. So what we need to know is why the demands then switch to demands about pay uh, and demands about holiday, which have nothing to do with being COVID secure. But then afterwards, the union started shifting their demands to other things. I knew going in the rules to be strict, but even so, I was surprised by things like during training, we'd have the the trainer be in the same room as us, but we had to have it over video calling so that no one was talking face-to-face, things like that. Now, there are not many people in the office. So where were they? They were at home. But in this case, something has been going wrong. What I found, there was two clear reasons that the pandemic had particularly hit the DVLA. The first is that It's a government agency that deals with lots of physical paperwork. So if you've got a very restricted number of staff on site, there's literally paperwork building up. There aren't enough people to get through that paperwork quickly enough. And remember, this is 60,000 pieces of mail every single day. Going into it, that was the part that I expected to find because that's been talked about before. What I was really shocked to find on top of that was that homeworking has not worked. And this was the second reason. Yeah. So what I found when I was at the DVLA was that there are about 6,200 staff there. And typically there have been throughout the pandemic around 2,000, just over 2,000 of them on site. The rest are at home either because they're on days off or simply because they're not allowed on site. However, lots of those people have not been working while they've been at home. So we got the figures and and straight away in the first lockdown, 3,400, so kind of well over half of the staff, were on special paid leave at home. So they didn't have to do any work at all. By the summer, a few months later, still almost 2,000 of them were at home on special paid leave. And actually, when you look back over the past 24 months, in nine of those months, more than 500 staff have not been working at all either because they've been on special paid leave at home or they were out on strike. 
And the reason was that lots and lots of people have not been given access to the DVLA's systems from home. And there's some debate about this because the unions say that there were technical issues and that the um, technology hasn't been good enough. However, the DVLA totally deny this. And they say they didn't allow people access from home for security reasons. So because of um, sensitive information about drivers that they'd have access to at home. And just to be clear about this idea that they're on special paid leave. So you were put on COVID-related special paid leave if, for instance, you told your managers that you had a health condition that meant that you were too vulnerable to come into the office, or you'd come into contact with someone with COVID, or you had caring responsibilities. But as well as this, people were on special paid leave simply if they couldn't be in the office. So, for instance, even as recently as January, lots of staff in the call centre were put on a four-day working rotor in the office in the call centre. And on the fifth day, lots of them couldn't have access to the systems from their homes. They simply didn't have to work on those days. They were given fully paid, special paid leave. And the upshot is that hundreds of staff at the DVLA have not been doing any work from home for significant periods of the pandemic. So other businesses had to adapt almost overnight in March of 2020 and were logging on remotely. And in this case, almost two years later, people were not able to do that. They simply couldn't work because the stuff couldn't be downloaded on the computers and accessed by them at home. People in the offices suggested it was for security reasons. So if you're at home working for the DVLA, you have access to people's driving license details or payment details. If you're in a big call center environment and you've got your managers around, you're not going to get a piece of paper out and start writing these details down. But what happens when you're at home by yourself and you have access to all this important secure information? So potentially it's a risk working from home, but there are lots of different companies where call center workers have been working from home and that's worked fine. Different phone companies and insurance companies and things like that. One thing to note is that their computer systems were incredibly old. And the main system that we were trained on is called D90. It looks like teletext. And it kind of uses very old-fashioned keyboards and, and the tab button. You had to use the tab button all the time and these kind of vague commands. It was like something out of the 90s. Now, that came up during your training, didn't it? The managers were talking about how people couldn't work from home. But actually, there was also very much an atmosphere of kind of mockery about working from home in of itself, in that they talked about, even if they could do some work from home, they found it hard to motivate themselves. So one manager, our trainer, Courtney, was saying... I started on my kitchen table and then eventually turned to bed. <laughs> and then if someone would ring me on Teams and ask me to put the camera on, I'd run back to the kitchen table. <laughs> but you weren't doing customer calls <laughs> from bed? No, I wasn't doing video calls with customers, no. Um, and I just find it's hard to motivate yourself in the house. Like my manager would mention, but I go, can you do this? You interrupted my series on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> or like if someone was doing it, I'd be scrambling, trying to find the remote. Like, oh my God, I need to turn this down. But yeah, each to their own. Some people love it. I just personally didn't. And I guess you can understand it in a way here, because if you're working, like lots of us have, in an environment from home where all your colleagues are working from home and you've got deadlines and all these things, that kind of encourages a sense that you do work from home. And lo lots of people talk about working harder from home. However, if you're working in an environment where people at home 
don't even have access to systems, so they're not doing any work and getting paid. If you're one of the few that can do work from home, you're not going to be that motivated, are you? Coming up, how the issues of the DVLA impacted on drivers. But first... I'm Sabah Meddings, business journalist at the Sunday Times. It's thanks to you that we get to hold large business to account, investigate corporate wrongdoing and interview some of the UK's leading entrepreneurs and FTSE 100 chief executives. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Did you get the sense that there was any attempt at cooperation between the union and the management about trying to get the whole place working better? When I was there, I joined the union. Because of the lack of staff on site, it wasn't like there were meetings to go to. It was all done through Facebook. I joined a private Facebook group, and the attitude was very much, let's cause maximum disruption to the DVLA. This kind of real hardline part of the union online talking about all the damage they wanted to do but then also what was really evident was there's this kind of growing backlash there lots of people also writing posts saying i've been in the office the whole time and lots of you have been at home and you say you're not well enough to come into work or you're too scared because of covid but you're booking holidays and you're going out and you're going to the pub even within the union there's clearly a big battle going on over what the tactics should be and perhaps earlier in the pandemic there clearly was more support over this issue of COVID safety because they went on strike and they had support of their members. However, in the autumn, they balloted their members again on the issue of going on strike and it was below the threshold needed to pass the vote. So clearly there'd been lots of people who initially were supporting strike action, but then it got to the point by the autumn where they thought, why are we still arguing about COVID safety? This doesn't apply anymore. And it must be a bit frustrating if you're a staff member and you know that the backlog for the public is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that actually, if you meet friends who have to deal with your workplace or other anybody else, they're going to complain to you that you're doing a useless job. I mean, people do hear about that. 
that's exactly what people were writing, actually much more than frustration, because people are waiting so long for their licenses. Staff members who are working in the call centre are having to deal with a much higher stress level. The type of calls they are receiving are constant people, furious, upset, devastated. The job for those people who have been in the office throughout has become much harder and much more stressful. Now, you were trained to be a call handler, and presumably you were being told what to tell customers to expect in terms of delays. What were you told, and did it have any relationship to the reality? So we were repeatedly told that we should tell customers that they would have to wait six to ten weeks in lots of cases, even though it's very well established that lots of people are waiting longer than that. And when I spoke to the training managers about this, they said... Six to ten weeks. Right. You've got to say then, we need to allow the full ten weeks in case it was sent to the wrong department. Um, wouldn't it be better just to be kind of honest about that? Yeah, but the Minister for DBLA, so the actual person that's in Parliament that basically rules what we do, they mm. will better change it. So I don't know exactly who she was referring to. But the suggestion was that within the DVLA, people want to be honest. But there has been political pressure put on the DVLA for its call handlers to keep saying six to 10 weeks. Okay, if I were to summarise this as being a combination of very weak management, a confrontational union, and a failure to get enough people working from home when they needed to, would that sound about right? Yeah, that sounds like a really good summary. Hmm. Let's now talk about what happened when you talk to people who've been affected by this, people who are unable to get what they needed processed in any kind of decent time. And let's talk first about John Swindle. John is a former driving instructor, actually. He uses a wheelchair and drives an adapted car for disability. And he has been waiting 13 months for his renewed driving license, and it hasn't come through. And he talks about how this has hugely impacted his life. It's taken away his independence. He has his car outside that he cannot get into. In some cases, the DVLA says that while it's processing your application, you can carry on driving. But he checked his insurance and he's not covered. So he hasn't been able to drive. Huh. And so he has had to rely on his wife entirely. He talks about how he used to go to see friends a lot and play music with them. And he hasn't been able to do that. He talks about how frustrating it is that he has to ask his wife every time he wants to go out. He's been grounded, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been totally grounded. And he's worked really hard to try and help himself. And he has called up repeatedly. And this is something that people talk about with the DVLA at the moment is they cannot get through on the phones. And it's one of these incredibly frustrating phone systems where it gives you some options and you press the button and then eventually a recorded message said something to you and then it cuts you off. Yeah, it just casts you into the outer darkness. And he talks about how initially he would call twice a day and then it became once a day and then it became every other day and then eventually he gives up because, you know, how many times can you call? And then he got in touch with his local MP and that seemed to help and it sped along the process a bit and he was asked to go for an eye test and then he passed the eye test, but then he heard nothing again and he's still waiting. And now let's talk about Rhys Bryant. Reese is another guy that I spoke to who's been terribly impacted. He has had cancer treatment. He had a brain tumor diagnosed five years ago. And following that diagnosis and treatment, he has to have a medical review once a year. 
So in normal times, that's a slight burden, but it's understandable. The DVLA have to be sure that the doctors are still happy that he can drive. So his oncologist will fill out some forms and check him. And then, you know, if everything's okay, he can carry on driving. In this case, he's been waiting 10 months. So, you know, he has to renew it every year. He's almost at the end of that year anyway. Again, he talks about his experience as being absolutely horrendous were his words, how he's repeatedly tried to call to get updates on his case and he hasn't been able to. The anxiety caused to him and his girlfriend to do with the possibility of him not being able to drive. He has been told that he can carry on driving and he has carried on driving, but he is worried about insurance and he talks about what happens if I get pulled over by the police and I don't have a physical license. So he's kind of taking a big risk there, but he feels he has to. He's also lost out on some money because he does some volunteer work, which pays mileage, but without a license, he can't get that. Fundamentally, what he talks about is the frustration of not being able to speak to anyone and how that makes you feel. Now, presumably, you spoke to the DVLA and put this to them and said, I've just done this investigation into you and you're a bit rubbish. And what did they say? The DVLA has started an investigation. Um, It says it takes the allegations extremely seriously, but that they are not representative of what it described as the hardworking culture in DVLA. They talked about the backlogs. They explained how in September, the numbers peaked this September 2021 at 1.6 million cases. It's now fallen to just under a million cases. And typically in normal times, there's about 400,000 cases live. The spokesman blamed the strikes for the backlogs, but said the DVLA had recruited more staff, opened new sites, and that they hoped to be back to normal processing times for most drivers by May. The DVLA also strongly denied having technical problems and said that staff not being able to log on remotely from home was to do with access to sensitive information. They said for the majority of applicants that that wanted licenses, they said that the majority of applications were online and these work normally. Bus and lorry drivers are no longer affected by backlogs. And it also denied misleading drivers about application delays saying that they published these online. And what about the union? What did they say? The PCS union said it was totally justified in taking strike action, given there had been more than 2,200 cases of COVID among staff at the DVLA in Swansea. And it said this was the highest number of any one workplace in the UK. Although the DVLA said levels of COVID tracked those in the local community. The union said much more should have been done to allow staff to work from home and blamed problems with home working on technology at the DVLA being, in its words, substandard. And presumably the government had some kind of answer. Grant Shapps, the transport secretary, said he was deeply concerned about the findings of our investigation and that he expects quick answers from DVLA bosses, while the Department for Transport said it took the allegations extremely seriously. I wondered, given what he'd found, how his experience in Swansea had matched his expectations before going. It was worse. This has impacted so many people in the country in a negative way. I think... It would have been one thing going in there six months into the pandemic and finding this all out, but almost two years into the pandemic, if this was a business, it just surely would have gone under. It doesn't work. Everyone's had to adapt to this new world. Going in almost two years into the pandemic and it still being in this complete state of crisis was really shocking. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Head of Investigations at The Times, Paul Morgan Bentley. You can read more of Paul's investigation at thetimes.co.uk or in print. 
The producer was Edward Drummond, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. Maybe you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes@thetimes.co.uk. Have a good weekend. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.